Welcome to a new world of entertainment. The Ultimate Film Television Podcast. Featuring Mike Winkler. Alistair Englehart. Daniel English. Jeremy Larson. And Jason Kabasi. Created by friends. All film lovers. We feature in-depth discussions. And celebrity interviews. This podcast is available on all major platforms. Welcome to the Lights, Camera, Action Entertainment Reviews Podcast. On this episode, on this capsule review special, Mike Winkler discusses his thoughts on the HBO Max original, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Welcome, everybody, back to another Capsule Reviews episode of the Lights, Camera, Action, Entertainment Reviews podcast. Mike Winkler here again with you, uh, solo again, um, for this Capsule Reviews special. Um, The big uh, event of March has finally arrived, and it's Zack Snyder's Justice League. And I don't know how many of you actually know the story behind why we got another version of Justice League, Um, but for anybody that doesn't know, I will go through it and I will explain it again. So, um, I believe back in 2017, uh, Zack Snyder was directing his own version of Justice League and everything was going smoothly until his daughter, um, abruptly passed and, um, he had to leave the production. So Warner Brothers had brought in Joss Whedon to come in and finish the film, but Joss Whedon didn't only just come in and finish the film. He did rewrites on the script, shot some new scenes that were not in Snyder's original script or version, and then we got the version that we got. Uh, And it was not loved by many people. Uh, I might get a lot of flack for this, but um, I didn't dislike uh, Justice League, the the first cut, as much as a lot of other people did. Um, Even though I thought it was... Nowhere near the greatness of um, of the Avengers series, especially when you go into Infinity War and Endgame. But um, I thought it was decent entertainment. I thought it was a little bit more uh, comedic, a little bit more lighthearted compared to the darkness that was Batman vs. Superman. Um, I have grown to enjoy Batman vs. Superman more uh, over the years, especially the, uh, the Ultimate Edition, which is basically, again, Snyder's director's cut that was far better than the theatrical cut. Uh, I've grown, I've gained, grown to appreciate it more, even with Man of Steel as well. I've, gr- I've grown to appreciate more too, but um, there definitely was a lot of problems with Joss Whedon's version of Justice League that came out. We got under development of Cyborg and the Flash, uh, especially when they were two new characters that were brought into the DC universe. I mean, the DC universe for the for the movies. Um. Warner Brothers, of course, made the big mistake from the beginning that after we got Man of Steel and it was successful, they jumped right into Man- Batman vs. Superman to try to compete with 
the Avengers. And we ended up getting an older Batman because of it. Didn't get a Batman movie that was an origin story, even though we all know the story. We didn't get that with Affleck's Batman. And uh, we were given kind of a precursor to Justice League by throwing Wonder Woman and Batman vs. Superman as well. Uh, and then they jumped right into doing Justice League to compete with Avengers. And the problem here is we got no backstory from Aquaman, Flash, and Cyborg. We were just giving little little hints and little pieces in the original version. And that's what made the original cut suffer. So after the film had come out, had not done as great as Warner Brothers had hoped, it seemed like Snyder's DC Universe was coming to an end because we were getting Aquaman and we were getting a Wonder Woman sequel, but they were going in a different direction. They were going more lighthearted. They were getting away from the darkness. They were going more comedy, more Marvel type of uh, situation. So it seemed like Zack Snyder's vision was all but all but dead. But began the fan campaign on Twitter to release the Snyder Cut. We started getting word that there were a lot of scenes that we didn't get. We didn't know how long Snyder's version was going to be or what exactly had been cut. We had gotten word that um, there, we got a scene opening with, with, with the Flash that was with Iris when he saves her from a truck hitting her, which we get in this version here. Um, uh, Kiersey Clemens, who played in Netflix is Easy, she got the role of Iris West, but she was cut from Joss Whedon's version. Um, so we didn't get a chance to see her. Um, didn't get to see a little bit of that connection between him and Iris, which is, of course, the backbone of The Flash. If you watch the TV show on the CW, um, we had gotten some, uh, I think, little video clips and some images of of that scene, but nothing that was releasable. We also got some backstory with, with Cyborg that was hinted at in the trailer where we saw him playing football in some slow motion rain scenes, which we also get in this cut as well. Um, there was a lot more. I can't go into every little specific thing that we saw that was uh, hinted at, but there was a lot more that we knew that we weren't getting. And so the campaign began on Twitter and Facebook and a lot of other social media platforms. Even at Comic-Con, I believe it was in 2019, uh, people had bought a banner, an airplane banner to fly overhead Comic-Con that said hashtag release the Snyder Cut. Uh, people even paid for a billboard. I believe it was in Times Square that said release the Snyder Cut. So it started to grow and started to grow. And Zack Snyder was on his uh, his Twitter and his other social media. I forget the name of the other social media thing he's been using for his um, promotion for Justice League. But um, he was going on there and he was kind of taking pictures saying the Snyder Cut existed. Uh, he even had a picture of a couple film reels on a wall that basically showed that there were a bunch of reels that were his his cut. Uh, you had Jason Momoa who plays Aquaman coming out and saying that he had seen a lot of what Snyder had done and said that the cut was far superior than what we had seen in the theater. Uh, you had Gal Gadot that was retweeting things about release the Snyder cut and even Affleck was coming out and doing things. So it kind of came to the point where Warner Brothers was resisting releasing this cut because I think they realized that if they had released the Snyder Cut, they were basically admitting failure with Joss Whedon's version. And in a way, they're right. Um, I could get their point of view on that. But at the same time, they were the ones that cheated the people out of what this film could have been. And after watching this version, it is by far superior. 
It is by far the version that we should have gotten all along. Uh, and it feels like a totally different movie, even though you'll see a lot of different scenes in the film that are very reminiscent of what we saw before in Joss Whedon's version, other than a few scenes that are moved around here and there. This is a far different film than what we saw before. Uh, even the story has somewhat changed. Yes, it's still about the mother boxes. It's still about Steppenwolf. But the cut that we saw back in 2018 or 2017, that version was just basically Steppenwolf was the villain. It was all him trying to go out to the mother boxes and to take over Earth. But we find out in this cut that it's actually Darkseid that wants this done. And Steppenwolf is doing this job to get back on Darkseid's good side. I know, Darkseid, good side, right? Um, so the motivation and the overall plot changes in this cut alone just with that. But um, the biggest change here in this cut that I think really strengthens the the bond of the team and really gives um, meaning to a lot of the characters' motivations is uh, this film really is stolen by, by Cyborg. Uh, Cyborg was very short-changed in Whedon's cut. He wasn't given his due. We only got little minor blips of his backstory that he was a person that was in an accident rebuilt by his father and that he was basically go gone full emo and couldn't handle being full Cyborg. I don't think anybody really could. And that was all we were given of him. And it was sad that in a film that was the first time we were seeing him, we were not getting a backstory to understand him and, and be able to see how things were tearing him up inside emotionally. So what Snyder does here is he basically takes every single scene that I believe he had shot for the 2017 version. And basically the four hour cut is every scene that he shot completely into this cut. He has said that the version that he would have released a couple years ago would not have been this full four hour version. But with this being on a streaming platform, it gave him access to basically put everything he had filmed into the film. It's not to say that every single scene in this in this cut is perfect. Uh, there are some slow pacing issues, especially within the first 30 to 45 minutes. Uh, and I think that's mainly because there are some scenes here that probably wouldn't have been there to begin with. Uh, but the film doesn't really suffer for it because I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, the biggest problem with the 2017 version for me now was I felt like the Bond of the team was not intact, that we weren't able to really feel like this group was a family, much like in the Avengers, where eventually we felt like, you know, Hawk, Black Widow, Iron Man and Cap and Thor were all, all became this family and that there was um, emotional consequences. And um, that was something that the other Justice League version didn't have. It was, uh, it didn't feel like there was a ton of emotion. It felt a little heartless at times. And I couldn't help but come out of it and be glad that Ben Affleck's Batman was going to be gone. And this was something that surprised me because I came out of this version here actually wanting to see more of Affleck's Batman. And this was the last thing I expected to feel coming out of this version because coming out of the other one, I was done with Affleck. I felt like we didn't really need to see him anymore. Uh, he was old. He was an aged Batman. Uh, it was time for a different direction, which is basically what Warner Brothers is doing with Robert Pattinson and Matt Reeves' Batman coming out next year. Um, but after this, I couldn't help but think after the credits were rolling, I was like, hmm, I actually want to see Affleck continue to play Batman. I want to see more of 
the struggle with him, especially when we get to the scenes with him and Jared Leto's Joker, which I'll get into more later. But there's a lot in that scene where we start hearing about some of the things from uh, Bruce's past with the Joker, and it really made me want to see that, uh, see the conflict that he had with the Joker, you know, years prior, whether it would have been in flashbacks in his own Batman movie or it would have been um, a younger Batman played by somebody else to play a younger Affleck or they would have de-aged him, whatever. But I really wanted to know more about this Joker and Batman relationship. And I'll get in more into Jared Leto and his, uh, his scenes in this version too, because even his, uh, his performance here really changed my opinion of, of his Joker, especially in comparison to, uh, to Suicide Squad, which I thought, um, I, I, I didn't like his performance in Suicide Squad at all. I thought that Joker was, was, was pretty awful, but, um, so going down the line here. So the re reason why I was saying was why this movie feels very much like a cyborg film is because we have so many scenes where we see the uh, the conflict that that he has with his father, um, who is the head of Star Labs, who is researching uh, the Kryptonian ship, and also has one of the mother boxes. Um, we get scenes in the beginning, a flashback of 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 Cyborg playing playing football, and uh, after he wins the game, he looks up in the stands, and he sees his mother sitting there cheering him on, and right next to her, the seats empty where his father would be. And instead of enjoying the celebration with his friends, he's really feeling the impact of his father not being there. So we're already getting this different uh, sort of uh, personality or, or, or conflict inside him before he even becomes cyborg. So as he's driving home with his mother, you know, he's really upset and crying that his father couldn't be there and that work is always more important. And unfortunately, uh, they get in a car accident, which leaves the mother dead. And basically him dead with the father knowing of a way that maybe he can save him, which which includes the mother box. Um, we flash forward. Uh, we see the father trying to become closer with his son after he is cyborg, and he wants nothing to do with it. He even makes him a tape where he's explaining the capabilities of what cyborg is capable of. And as the tape's going on, at the end of it, he then changes over, okay, now I'm going to talk to you as a father. And before he gets to hear the rest of the tape, Cyborg crushes it and throws it on the counter. Th those were scenes that were greatly missed. Um, I, I can't sit here. I can. I, I sit here and I think, why was this scene cut from Whedon's cut? Because what was the problem with understanding and relating to the characters and getting to know them better? I, I can't understand why it came down to okay, we're making a Justice League film. We got to have this movie move at two hours and we got to keep the pace moving. We can't have anything slog it down. And that would be fine if you had a Cyborg movie before this or a Flash movie before this or Aquaman movie before this because then we would have been like, okay, we have their backstory. We don't need to see more of it. We can get to the point. So the first cut was basically treating it as in we've already seen those stories. So we're moving forward with a full-on action film. And it was quite the opposite here. I can't help but think that Warner Brothers was just looking to get the movie out for the sake of money. Uh, once Snyder had left, they realized that the power hold that he had on the film was gone. Whedon was hired to basically do what Warner Brothers wanted them to do, to make a two-hour movie, make it fast, quick, easy, be done with it. It almost felt as though Warner Brothers wanted to kind of end Snyder's uh, universe right here. 
because it just recently came out about a week ago. There was an article that Snack Snyder had said that Warner Brothers actually hated Batman vs Superman, and we know a lot of the fans also did as well. And I I have my issues with that film as well, but not to the degree that uh, that it was getting, not to the full blown criticism that it was getting. So it seemed as though like if, if Warner Brothers had hated Batman vs Superman so much. Why did they choose to go forward and make Justice League with Snyder then? It, it, it's a really confusing and puzzling question. Because if you really didn't like what he was doing, why would you go forth with more of his vision if you didn't like what was coming to begin with? You, they had to know down the pipeline what was coming into the story, especially since we found out that what Justice League 2 and 3 were going to be, which was going to be more of the uh, the nightmare sequence of Batman and, and Darkseid, and then it was going to evolve into, into number three and how they were going to save Earth. So it was going to be more of the same story. So I don't understand why Warner Brothers wanted to proceed with this if they disliked Batman vs. Superman so much. Um, I guess my biggest gripe, too, is, is that Snyder said that this film was going to end in a cliffhanger. And in a way, it kind of did. Um... But not in a way where I felt as though we have to see what comes next. I felt like it was a it was a good closure for Snyder's universe. I think it, it said and did enough to where I could feel satisfied with Man of Steel, uh, Batman vs. Superman, and Zack Snyder's Justice League being the the trilogy. Um and, and feeling satisfied with it. But I want more. And that's not something I necessarily could say a few years ago when the other cut came out. I was satisfied with what we had, and I was like, okay, I'm done with this. Let's move on to something new. Um, and, of course, over the years, like I said, more appreciation for the material. And the films actually hold up a lot better now than I think they did when they came out. Um, some people have said that they think that this is the best of the three movies that Snyder did. Um, I'm not entirely sure yet. Um, I've only watched this film once because it's it's very long at four hours and two minutes. So I might have to watch it again uh, to really be able to form that opinion because I've seen Man of Steel quite a few times and even Batman vs. Superman quite a few times. So it's not fair to me to say which one's better because I've only seen this one once compared to quite a few with the other two. Um, but I think that Cyborg steals the film. I don't want to give away too much. I don't want to get too much into spoiler territory here on this podcast because uh, I kind of plan on down the road with the rest of the guys breaking down our thoughts on this film um, in more detail. I just want to kind of scratch the surface on some of this. So if you haven't seen it yet, I'm not going to give away everything. But I, I felt as though... The Flash still doesn't get a lot in this cut. It's better than what we had before. Um, but like the scene with Iris, I was expecting something that was going to be pretty cool in that scene. And that scene is still very much a throwaway scene. Um, we don't even really know that that character is Iris West because she's never used by name in that scene. We only know because that's who she was casted to play when the cast announcement came out. Um, and it's kind of a weird scene too because once he slows down time to save her, there's kind of a hot dog floating in the shot, and he slows it down and grabs the hot dog, puts it in his pocket, then saves her. It's an awkward scene, um, and when we get down to it, there's not a lot of reason for it to be there, other than an introduction to Barry. Uh, 
But to me, the scene with him and his father in the jail, that's kind of, I think, a better scene for his intro than what we got here. This scene was cool to see, but I could see this being one of the scenes that probably wouldn't have been there in the version a couple years ago if Snyder had finished it to begin with. Um, Aquaman's, uh, his, his intro is very similar to what we saw. Uh, and again, I don't, I, I don't really feel the need to know too much about Aquaman here because he did get his own movie that we see after this. And we got a lot of that now. Um, but we do get a different scene. Instead of the scene uh, when he's in the, the water bubble talking to Mira, Amber Heard's character in the original cut, instead he talks to Willem Dafoe's character. And I liked this pretty mu a lot because um, I like Willem Dafoe and, and uh, Jason Momoa's uh, chemistry. In, in Aquaman and how those two really worked together and, and the scenes the characters shared. I thought they were some of the uh, Aquaman's best scenes. So it was cool to see that here. And I'm very upset that that's not the scene that we got a couple years ago because I think it was a better intro to Aquaman. Um, the scene where Bruce goes to... I don't know what country somewhere he meets Aquaman. That scene is slightly the same, but also slightly different than what we got as well. Um, it's much better. Uh, it's not as lighthearted and comedic as what we got before. It's a little bit more serious, especially when we get this um, this song sung by this lady once Aquaman goes in the water. It's kind of like a swan song, kind of like thing that she sings to him um, as, he, as he goes underwater. Um, I thought that was a better way to bring Aquaman into the fold. Um... So the three characters definitely get their get get their due here. Uh, Cyborg being the most out of them all, and uh, the thing that really stuck out to me as well was the intro and to the beginning of the movie because I liked the beginning of Whedon's version. Other than the the kids with Superman was okay. I mean, the fake mustache of Henry Cavill was very prevalent in that scene. Um, but it was, it was, it was, it was a cool scene and I really liked, um, uh, Sigrid's, uh, everybody knows being the music over the top of the opening credits in the original version and showing how the world was kind of in disarray after Superman's death. I, I liked that quite a bit. I thought it, it was fitting. Um, I liked the song. I thought it was a good opening. Um, that is completely gone in this version. Uh, instead of getting the everybody knows and the Superman scene with the kids, we open up on Superman's death. Um, and how the sound waves of his death were the reason why the mother boxes had awakened after all this time, which I thought was kind of cool explanation as to why the mother boxes had reopened because in the other cut, it just kind of happened or they just kind of woke up where actually now we get a reason for that. So, uh, the beginning of the movie definitely works, uh, better here. Um, I just wish we, we, there would have been a way to get everybody knows in that kind of sequence after that. Because uh, I thought it was a pretty cool opening, but it's not a it's not a big loss here. Just something that I would have probably maybe liked to see uh, stay intact. Um, even Wonder Woman's opening, where she uh, goes into the I think it's a bank building uh, to save the group of uh, of kids from the man with the briefcase. Um, it plays out very similar to the other version as well. It's just that it uh, it goes on a little longer. It's not quite as lighthearted. It's a little bit more serious in tone, a little bit more dark in nature, which I think works better than the other version as well. So Wonder Woman has a good intro here, but see, she doesn't really need a whole lot of time to develop here because 
she already had her movie before this. So we already knew all about her backstory and everything. Um, but I did like the scenes of her in the caverns after the arrow was fired in uh, to the temple where we get uh, the intro where she kind of sees dark side and the way it was on the walls of the temple. I thought that was kind of a nice touch and it really made things a little bit more fleshed out as far as the, as far as the story. Um, I'm trying to think what else I want to get into. That's not going into too much spoiler territory here. Um, like I said, when you get through the first hour, things move a little bit slower. Uh, we don't get Superman until about two and a half hours in, which I thought was a very long time. And I thought it almost felt like it was a little too long to bring Superman back. Um, but it made sense as to why it took that long. Cause there were a lot of pieces and, 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 and stuff that built up to it. Uh, I can't help but think in, in the other version, if it would have come out that this would have happened maybe about an hour quicker than what it did, but uh, it, it works pretty well. Um, the action scenes are, are improved here. The film actually now has an R rating for violence and some language. And I can't help but think that the violence in this cut is really not that much worse than what we got before. Yeah, the scene where Steppenwolf uh, steals the mother box from the Amaz Amazonians, it's more brutal, but I don't think it's bloodier. I don't think it's grittier. I don't think there's anything here that really warranted anything stronger than a PG-13. Uh, we do get two F-bombs in the movie, which maybe not necessary, but it was kind of cool to see Batman say an F-bomb uh, near the end of the film. But to say this film gets an R rating and that it's a harder, edgier version than what we already got, I wouldn't say that it is. To me, it's still very much a harder PG-13 movie. The R rating, I don't think, is deserved here at all. Um, even with two F-bombs, I don't. they're not used in a, a sexual or a derogatory really way. They're just kind of used in a, in a frustrative manner. Uh, so I, I don't really see the reason why this is R-rated. I think that the MPAA went a little too far with that. Um, the, the ending has changed dramatically. Uh, the scene where Superman and Flash race each other, that is no longer no longer here. Uh, that scene is gone completely. So that obviously was a Joss Whedon addition. And I didn't mind that scene. Um, it felt a little comedic compared to the other DC films we've gotten. So maybe, it, if anything, it felt a little out of place um, in Whedon's cut. But that scene's gone here. And at the end, after, we get, after they defeat Steppenwolf, and we also get a different uh, situation on how they save the planet uh, that involves the Flash and time travel. I won't get into that too much. I'll save that for you if you watch it. Um, but we get an epilogue chapter, which basically we get the scene with Lex Luthor and Deathstroke. That's slightly different than the other cut. Um, that's here. Uh, we also get the scene where, where Lex is no longer in the prison or Arkham Asylum. That it's uh, He put an imposter in there. That scene's still there as well. It's basically the same. Um, but then we get a cool sequence um, that at first we don't know is is a dream. It's Batman dreaming, having another nightmare like he did in Batman for Superman. But we get this scene where Earth has been completely enslaved by Darkseid. And Superman is now a minion of his. Uh, supposedly because uh, Lois Lane's been killed. Um, but we get uh, Batman, Mira, Deathstroke, 
Cyborg, and and Flash. Uh, they're hiding out from Superman, but they're trying to infiltrate, I believe, uh, where Darkseid's holding up. And then all of a sudden, we see Jared Leto's Joker. And I know at first thought, people were thinking, oh, great, more of Jared Leto's Joker. We don't like him from Suicide Squad. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that 100%. I did not like his Suicide Squad Joker at all. I thought the tattoos were were stupid. I thought the way he acted like a gangster with these silver silver teeth. I thought the whole thing was just stupid. And even though I enjoy Suicide Squad a little bit for its entertainment value, I hate the Joker in that movie. And um, when I heard that Jared Leto was coming back as Joker for a scene in this film, I was like, eh. I was like, I thought we maybe wanted to put him behind us and move on. But after seeing the scene, I'm very, very happy. And I can't help but think, like, why wasn't this the version of Jared Leto's Joker that we got to begin with in Suicide Squad? Because it was more faithful to the comics that we had seen in, in other film versions we've seen before. Um, he's sporting the longer hair. Uh, the makeup uh, looks a little bit more messier, like, like Chris Nolan's Dark Knight. And his laugh feels more Joker-like. The way he talks feels more Joker-like. It's almost like he's not playing the same version of the Joker that he played in Suicide Squad. And in a way, I feel like that that's the point. Because with, with uh, James Gunn's Suicide Squad coming out this year, and after watching the trailer yesterday, it's, it's appearing like they are forgetting that Suicide Squad movie ever happened. Because really, we're only getting three characters from that version that are returning, and that's Harley Quinn, uh, Boomerang, and Rick Flagg. Oh, one more as well, Amanda Waller. We're getting four. But everybody else is different. Not even Will Smith's Deadshot's even re is reappearing. So I have to sit here and I have to think that maybe the reason why his Joker feels different here is because that Suicide Squad no longer exists in the DC Universe. I mean, I know I've heard Snyder say that this version of Justice League is not technically canon with DC's universe. To me, it is. After watching it, I don't see why it can't be. Might we never get the, the nightmare sequence with Darkseid coming to Earth? Maybe not. But we can look at that as being a nightmare and it never maybe coming true. There's a lot of ways we can look at that. But that's how I perceive uh, his Joker being different in this cut. Uh, but I, the, the, the dialogue between him and Batman here, it made me really want to see a Batman movie with this Joker and, uh, Joker and Batman now. And I have to give Zack Snyder credit. He really made me want to see more of his universe after seeing this film. And prior to Justice League coming out, it was, you know, take it or leave it at that point. Uh, I thought Batman vs. Superman was decent, but it wasn't a movie that I was ecstatic about or in love with. Uh, it was just fine. And even though it's held up better now on repeat viewings, it was a take it or leave it situation. So... The fact that he was able to bring me back to wanting more from his vision of the DC Universe, I, I applaud him. I applaud him because he succeeded with this cut so well. And what he had in, in, in store for the future of DC, I think, now stay with me here, I think in a way he could have competed with Marvel. Because 
the dark side nightmare universe could have been something that was very similar to Thanos and and the snap and and half the people being gone on earth like it did in Endgame. It could have been something similar to that and I think it could have worked. But based upon what we're hearing now, Warner Brothers is not going to go go forward with Snyder's universe. They are basically done with it. Uh, we've heard that if the film remains successful on HBO Max, maybe HBO Max might continue the Snyderverse on HBO Max for different movies or series or, or whatever. Uh, the film, I believe they said, received 1 million hits uh, within the first day that it, that it premiered on HBO Max, which is huge. And the reception, the fan reception has been, has been great. Uh, even look at the Rotten Tomatoes score. It's now fresh. Whereas, and I think that Joss Whedon's cut was at 40% or something like that on Rotten Tomatoes. This version is at 75 for the critic score. I think it's at 90-something for the fan score. So this was a major success. The film turned out good. The fans loved it. The critics loved it for the most part. So to me, I have to sit here and wonder, why does Warner Brothers not want to try and make this universe work? I think there's a lot more to the story that we're getting. Um, I don't know if they're just holding a grudge against Snyder because he didn't finish the movie, even though his daughter had died. It's like, excuse me, you know, his daughter died. What did you expect him to do? You know, so you're going to take it out on him for that. That's what it kind of felt like. They were taking it out on him for stepping away because of his daughter's death. And that's not right. We even get the small dedication at the end of the film where it says for Autumn, his daughter, which I thought was uh, a very nice touch. Uh, that situation is very upsetting and very sad. And uh, I applaud Snyder for being able to come back and finish this because it probably was hard because it probably left a lot of memories from that time when it happened. And um, he just did a fantastic job here. So as you can tell, I'm giving the film a glowing response. Uh, in the past, I've been very harsh on DC films and it's been much deserved. They deserve the criticism because they're not Marvel. Um, they could be Marvel if they did things correctly and did them right, but they just, they haven't. Um, I think the biggest mistake DC made was after the Chris Nolan films had finished, I felt like the Chris Nolan films were a good launch point for DC to continue off that, especially if Joseph Gordon-Levitt would have become the new Batman or Nightwing or, or whatever. And they chose to ignore that. So that was strike one. Then when they made Man of Steel... Even though Henry Cavill turned out to be a pretty good Superman, I think they blew an opportunity where Smallville had ended. And they really had the perfect Clark Kent, the perfect Lex Luthor and Michael Rosenbaum, a great Lois Lane and Erica Durance. They had the pieces for the cast right there for a Man of Steel film. And I remember before they had they had casted uh, Amy Adams and Henry Cavill and Man of Steel, it came out, I believe, that Zack Snyder was a fan of Smallville. So I remember thinking like, oh, okay, maybe he will turn that into his Superman movie. He didn't. I don't know if that's entirely his fault. I don't know maybe if he did ask around and they just declined it, which I don't see how uh, Tom Welling would have um, declined to do it because it would have been a huge paycheck. It really would have launched his career even further. Um Probably would have led to more jobs after it would have been completed. But I felt like that was strike two. And then strike three basically came with how the first cut of Justice League was handled. So they really had three chances. They blew three chances. 
And I feel like now with Zack Snyder's Justice League, they kind of have redeemed themselves a little bit. A little bit of redemption here. Um, a film based, uh, built upon hope, uh, basically gives DC, I think, new hope. But if Warner Brothers chooses to not continue in that direction with Snyder's verse, then basically they are doing it again. Strike four. They're, they're screwing up DC again. And I can't help but think that knowing what's coming from DC now, we, we're getting the Flash movie, which is supposed to feature the return of Michael Keaton's Batman from the multiverse. That's now kind of in loop now because now they're saying that because of COVID, Michael Keaton might not return, which would be a, a damn shame because it might be the only chance we have of seeing uh, the Burton verse somehow come back and get a continuation from Batman Returns. So it'd be very upsetting that if it doesn't go that way. Uh, we know Affleck is coming back to play Batman, at least in The Flash, and it appears that'll be his final performance as Batman, unless this HBO Max experiment works. Um, I know we're getting another Aquaman film. Uh, we're getting another Wonder Woman film. But as a whole, the DC Extended Universe now, we don't know what, what it's going to consist of. We don't know what the direction it's going to be heading in. So the question now kind of remains is, What's going to be the continuity plan going forward for DC? None of us know. We don't know what's coming next. We don't know if we're going to get another Justice League movie ever again. Uh, we might be getting just solo Aquaman flashes and all these other movies, you know, until DC stops, which would be a, a damn shame. Uh, and then Batman, the Batman, Matt Reeves' Batman with Robert Pattinson, uh, that's not going to be part of the continuity universe. So that'll be its own thing. Uh, they keep saying that Joaquin Phoenix's Joker is not going to be the Joker in his universe, which I think that would be another mistake. But I think that's actually a smokescreen, much like how Sony handled um, Venom, uh, Tom Hardy's Venom not being part of the universe, which it is now. It was a smokescreen. I think that was always the plan. I think they were just trying to hide it till they felt like it was time to announce it, whatever. Um, but uh, DC's future is very much in limbo. And I'm just kind of hoping that maybe they rethink it after this has been a success. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, but I highly recommend everybody see this version of the movie. If you were not happy with the previous version, I can pretty much guarantee you that after you watch this version, you will like the movie quite a bit. Are you going to fall in love with it? I don't know, because it depends if you like the previous Snyder movies before it. Um, but I think that this film improves upon the Snyderverse quite a bit. Um, we got a better version of Batman than we got in Batman vs. Superman. Um, Superman uh, has a more positive direction going forward at the end of this film, which is, I think, a little bit more truer than what we've got in Man of Steel. Uh, it's a brighter future. So I, I, I'm, I'm pleading the Warner Brothers that you please find a way to let this continue and, and, and see how it goes. Or at least HBO Max... Let it continue on there and, and and let the fans see what this is capable of and what what uh, what we could have in store for it. So overall, um, I give Zack Snyder's Justice League a solid B+. Um, it falls just short of an A just because the first hour is a little bit uh, sluggish and a little bit slower. Um, also, that there are some scenes that really felt like could have been cut that slowed the film down. But a B+. I mean, when the other version of Justice League came out a couple years ago, it was somewhere around a C- for me. So this is a 
drastic improvement. And I uh, really hope to see more. So that's my overall uh, opinion on the film. Uh, I'm sorry if I got too spoilery with, with everything. I tried to avoid as much as possible. Um, if we do do an episode down the road uh, with the rest of the group, that'll be really spoiler-filled. So make sure if you watch that one, make sure you have seen it by then because we will spoil the hell out of it. Uh, even more so than than here. But uh, So uh, coming next uh, in the next week or two uh, will be the final part of our Matrix retrospective uh, as we will be talking about the Matrix revolutions. I, I mean, I should say the final part of our retrospective for the Matrix for now until Matrix 4 comes out in December where we will break that down when that comes out. But for now, it'll be the final part of our, our Matrix retrospective with revolutions. Uh, we'll be talking about that, and then we plan on continuing retrospectives with Jurassic Park following that. We're really excited to uh, to do that, especially with uh, what appears that might be the final Jurassic Park film coming out next year. Uh, so it appears to be, with everybody coming back from previous movies. Um, it might not be, but uh, I'm kind of seeing it that way. Uh, so, Ending the Matrix, and then Jurassic Park, and then I believe we're going to get into Terminator following that, I believe we're talking about. We'll, we'll keep you kind of informed on that. But uh, thank you for all that uh, that watched uh, this episode today for my thoughts on Justice League. And uh, make sure to listen to the episode. Uh, it'll be on CastBox uh, tomorrow. So if you didn't watch, you can listen to it. Uh, so thanks for watching. And then thanks for listening if you listen to it now. Um, and make sure to go to LCA Reviews to read our reviews and uh, to find more episodes of the podcast. Along with listening to us on uh, CastBox, Amazon Music. Uh, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. We're on all six of those guys. So if you have a a podcast platform that you prefer, well, we're on all those. So go on there, hit the subscribe or follow button, and you'll know every new episode that we come out with. And then follow us on Facebook at LCA Reviews. And uh, you can stay informed on what we have coming up and coming up down the pipeline. So uh, thank you for all for joining me. And we will see you the next week or two, for the finale of our Matrix Retrospective. That's a wrap. Cut and print. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. And coming soon, the final part of our Matrix Retrospective as we cover the Matrix Revolutions. Also, over the course of this month, be on the lookout for more retrospectives and podcast episodes. To read more of our reviews and listen to our podcast, go to lcareviews.com and subscribe to our podcast on all major platforms. Thank you for listening to the Lights, Camera, Action Entertainment Reviews Podcast.